I'm Emmy-winning host and actor, Dee Dee Sorvino, and you're listening to the Brett Flash Podcast. Hi, I'm Dominic Natty, and you're listening to the Brett Flash Podcast, which is better than the Dominic Natty Show. I'm country music star Taylor Marie Wagner, and you're listening to the Brett Flash Podcast. It's amazing. You're gonna love it. Flash on. Brett Flash Podcast is the best in the world. Oh, yeah. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Brett Flash Podcast. Once again, I am talking to... Dale Mills. This is part three of our two-part interview. And if you enjoyed the last two, you're going to enjoy this. We go beyond the ring, talk about his other interests outside of the wrestling world, but we talk about a bit of wrestling as well, because why would you not want to talk about wrestling? So, yeah, sit back, enjoy the show. Right, there you go, we can get started. Down, fire away. It's been a while, it's been a while. Since I've done the podcast thing, but right, so I'll I'll get going with my intro. Yeah. We're going live in. Well, we're not going live, are we? <laughs> That'll be good. But no, I'm not doing it live. I'm not that brave yet. Well, I'll be up for live. I'll, I'll, I'd be, I'd do it. We could restart Dropkick Radio thing that Martin used to do. Oh God, yeah, yeah. And there was a one PW radio as well for a while. Yeah, I think was well, what he did it, didn't he? Um, yeah, well, there was no. like a, there was another one a bit later that um, Adam and myself did. We actually um, we, we were doing it live, and it was like we had the program, and it was like live on to whatever it was on. And we actually rang uh, Jason Genesis's house, and his mum answered the phone, <laughs> and, and we was like, "Can we speak to Jason, please?" And she was like, "Jason, there's somebody else." That's there. brilliant. We were recording, it was being broadcast live for the radio. <laughs> it was fucking brilliant. Me, me and Adam were fucking wetting ourselves. I'm glad this is recording. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was like a number of crazy things that we did. We didn't tell him we was ringing him, we just fucking, we had his phone number, so we yeah. gave him a call. <laughs> right, I'm going to do the intro. Yeah, cool. It might not be as good as the last one, but I've really put you over in the last one. I've got to calm it down a bit now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just repeat the first one again. Be yeah, I haven't got that piece of paper anymore. Oh, fair. I actually wrote it out on a piece of paper. I was going old school. Right, it gives me great pleasure once again to introduce an absolute legend of the British wrestling scene. Coming on for part three of our two-part interview, this is Diamond Dale Mills, or DA Mills, or just Dale Mills now. I suppose. You'll answer to anything, won't you? Yeah, yeah. Any, any of the above will do. But uh, yes, good evening. Thanks for having me on again. That's all right. Thank you for coming on. I've been in high demand, so I'm glad you could come back on. You no. are still my number one guest. <laughs> number one or only one. <laughs> one and the same. <laughs> yes. So how have you been? Since uh, we last yeah. Yeah, not too bad at all. It's uh, it's still continuing to be kind of strange times that we're living in. 
but you know things have gotten a bit easier, a little bit better. You know things are you know slowly getting back to normal, whatever that is nowadays. Um, but yeah, but by and large, I've been pretty good. Family's been good. It's been yeah, it's been all right. Glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. In our previous shows, we obviously well, we discussed your career in wrestling. But you are a man with many strings to his bow. <laughs> and I thought, obviously, we're going to discuss wrestling because that's what the people expect. But I thought we could discuss some other things as well. Yeah, fire away. Some of yeah. your other interests. I'll uh, try and, and answer everything that you throw at me as, as honestly as I can and as entertaining as I can. Ah, well, I would expect nothing less, sir. Something we didn't actually discuss in the first show, which... I wish I had discussed. It's obviously we talked about your time in wrestling and we talked about you know, being a manager, announcer and commentator. But was there ever a time where you wanted to be a wrestler, as in proper, full on? Well, yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, I trained. I went to Hammerlock back in the day and trained. It would have been, would have been mid to late 90s, I would say. Uh, probably just before just before the Attitude Era really kicked in, but wrestling was becoming sort of quite popular in the mainstream just before it sort of exploded. And so everybody then, everybody just watched wrestling for a brief time and Austin and Rock, etc. But yeah, I, I thought, you know, my dad did it. I thought I'd like to have a go at doing it. I went to quite a few training sessions and got to the point where I could you know, put on quite a, a fairly straightforward, pretty decent, like five, six minute match. So yeah, right. there was like, I, I trained and learned obviously like how to bump and then learn holds and, you know, then then worked on the psychology. So yeah, I went to quite a few training sessions and learned quite a lot. And it was only, it was only work that got in the way. The training sessions were in Sheffield and they were on a Sunday. And well, there was there was other ones, but who I went with, one of my mates who I worked with at the time, he could only go on Sunday. Um, so we went together, and it was only because I had to start working on Sunday, and I'd only been in that job a little while, so I couldn't be like, all right, yeah, I don't want to work Sunday. So I had to kind of just like take the choice of either wrestling or work. And unfortunately, or fortunately, as things turned out, um, but unfortunately at that time I had to I had to go with work, which was kind of disappointing, but kind of worked out all right in the end. Yeah, I used to. I say this makes me sound far more impressive. I used to train as well because I think you know most fans at some point they go, I want to give this a go. Yeah, I want to be the next Hulk Hogan or Rock or whatever. But I, I tried it, and I think, I mean, obviously one of the first things you learn to do is bump. Mm-hmm. And I can I think I had made one successful flat back bump. Yeah. In all the training sessions I had, I did it right once. And I was told, oh, you know, you've done that. And it, it that felt right, didn't it? I'm like, yes, it did feel right. Didn't do it again. I just couldn't do it. I had no ability whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, that was the first thing that I learned to do. And I think it's probably the first thing that you everybody learns to do, really. 
Um, but I mean, I was okay, like with the back bumps, um, but it was the, it was a front bump. I, I really struggled with that because I didn't want to. Although you don't land on your face, I, I just didn't want to land on my face, and I, I just I really struggled with it. And like you, I probably did it once correctly, and then after that, I just couldn't do it. So I was sort of thinking to myself, right, I'm never taking a front bump. Whatever I do in wrestling, I'm like, I'll just back bump everything. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, as it turned out, I didn't it didn't matter anyway because I never really got into being like a full time wrestler or anything. But yeah, I mean, I can totally understand. I get it. Like like you say, it's sometimes it's just I don't know. It's like a mental thing. I just couldn't get past the fact that you have to. You can see certainly for me doing the front bump when you you dropping yourself to the mat and you see you can just you look at it and you can see the mat coming towards you and I just you automatically put your hands out to stop yourself I mean it's like you know it's your natural instinct to try and stop your face from smashing into the floor you yes, know, if, you, if you used to fall over now and take a front bump you put your hands down you know you try and I just couldn't get my head around like not put my hands down doing it back doing the back ones was fine because obviously you can't see where you're falling and once you got used to the the jarring like pain of hitting the mat um yeah, the back ones were fine but i just couldn't do that front one at all and if someone said to me that like, even now like you know here's a here's a million pounds you've got to do one decent front bump i i, I would never get that money <laughs> it would just wouldn't happen now i know what you mean it's still not a natural thing to fall and not do something to stop yourself from hitting the floor yeah yeah it does take and it's it, worse with the front one as you say yeah, it, it does. It, it does take a little bit of mental gymnastics to get around, not you know, not putting your hands down or not trying to like do something that's going to stop you doing what you need to do. Because you know, so your natural instinct is to be like, oh, and put your hands out or put your legs out or try and stop yourself from you know from landing on your back or your, your face. Um, but yeah, like I say, it was. I, I did that for. for for quite a while many many months um and i enjoyed it i thought it was great you know i you know I, I never really thought that i would you know make it because there was a few british uh, wrestling feds about but it wasn't like it, it was sort of 10 15 years later where there was like loads of them and everybody was running shows um so i never, i never thought to myself you know i'm gonna headline some british wrestling show I was just quite happy just to do the training, you know, learn learn the basics and, and just, you know, have some fun with my mate who we went with. That's the thing. And I know obviously your career went on and you became a manager and announcer and commentator. But even if that hadn't happened, none of, if say none of that happened, you didn't go to 1PW or anything, you can still say, well, you got in the ring and you did it. Yeah. Yeah, that was all yeah. I really wanted, to be honest. It was just like... Like I say, we were, I went with my mate, it was a laugh, you know, we trained together, we used to muck about together, like, you know, after the training sessions, we, we'd go, when we was in work, and we'd, you know, fuck about wrestling and stuff, like, practice the lock-ups and stuff, and it was just a good laugh, and it was, it was fun, and I really enjoyed it, I had no aspirations, like, like I say, to, you know, main event anywhere, or wrestle anywhere, I just wanted to have a bit of fun with it and learn. Well, you know, learn what my dad did, basically. That's fair enough. 
Yeah, and I, I hip toss Lee Chaos, which not many, um, not many people can say they've done, but I've hip toss Lee Chaos. No, he is, he is um, like weirdly strong. Like I've done a few shows, he, he did a few shows with Factory, and he's like, he'd be just picking like bits of the ring up, like do a, just a piece of paper. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, it's like, he's just like super strong. And really quite knowledgeable as well. You know, he's obviously been around a long time. Um, you know, he's seen and done plenty. And I really enjoyed watching him. I really enjoyed chatting to him and working with him. I thought he was a really sound bloke. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Particularly back in the day, he looked the part of a wrestler, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so for anyone to make me, who looks, you can't see this, listeners, obviously, but I look nothing like a wrestler, <laughs> for him to jump in the air and flip over and land on his back and make it look like I did anything to him, you know, is like, fair play, mate. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the art of uh, that's the art of wrestling, isn't it? Making, you know, making someone else look good. Yeah, he made me look, he made me look good for 10 seconds. For 10 seconds, <laughs> I was a wrestler. <laughs> oh, there you go. It's a, that's something you can tell your grandkids. Yeah, definitely. I did actually tell my kids that I wrestled Andre the Giant <laughs> at WrestleMania 3, and I didn't realize until fairly recently that they didn't know I was making it up. Oh, no. <laughs> no, and they came two years ago now, but they came to me, talk, they mentioned it in public, and I was like, that didn't actually happen. <laughs> oh well, you told us it did. So, okay. oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and then they they were like, oh, "Okay, so you didn't do the wrestling, but you did play for Man United, didn't you?" I was like, "Well, <laughs> funnily enough, I didn't." <laughs> There's some advice for all your parents out there: don't don't lie to your kids because they just take it as gospel. <laughs> Might be ludicrous in your head, but they they just thought, "No, my dad's telling the truth." <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, God knows what they were saying at school. Imagine <laughs> yeah. telling their teachers. <laughs> I was probably telling them that you wrestled Andre the Giant. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I body slammed Andre at WrestleMania 3. I even went for WrestleMania 3. I didn't just make out, I fought him in a ring. I was like the biggest show and I body slammed him. Did they not put it together when they saw it on telly? <laughs> no. No. No, they didn't. Uh, that's fantastic <laughs> yeah and occasionally stuff will come out and I'll think oh yeah I did say that to you a long time ago this is when they're tiny but like a song a One Direction song will come on the radio and I'm like is this one of the ones you sang on oh my oh, no this isn't one of mine <laughs> that's great <Yeah. laughs> that's brilliant there you go <laughs> anyway, enough about me lying to my kids. Uh, <laughs> Let's get back to a bit of wrestling. Cool. As you mentioned, it's still a funny time. It's been a very funny past, well, year, year and a half. Been an odd time for wrestling, hasn't it? And the fans are only, they just started coming back into shows, haven't they? And the big shows and stuff. Yeah, it's, I mean, like watching sort of AEW and WWE when they had no fans was was really weird 
You know, I think sometimes, like when you, as a fan, and you if you go to a show or you go to WWE or your local one or whatever, you know, you kind of take for granted that you know you sat there watching a show. And I think you know the wrestlers probably took for granted that the crowd were there because it's just it's what it is. It's like, you know you pay your ticket, you go watch, and the wrestlers you know, perform for the crowd. But you know watching watching it on telly, obviously there was no live to watch it for a lot of the time because everything locked down. But watching it on on telly, you know, like certainly before WWE did their Thunderdome thing, when it was just like empty arenas, it was just really, really weird. Like just, it was, it, you know, it felt like there was something missing. And there was, you know, it was the interaction of the, the live crowd. Definitely. I think in some areas they embraced it for some of the matches, you know, when they were doing sort of like The Undertaker, an AJ match. They embraced the fact that we haven't got fans here, we'll just do a cinematic match. Yeah, I mean, that, that was probably one of my favourite matches like uh, from a long time. And it wasn't really a match. I mean, it was it was a it was a mini movie, wasn't it? Really, it's yeah. called it a cinematic match, but it was a it was a movie. Yeah, it was just like it's a, it, it was like a horror eighties action biker zombie movie it's just it was fantastic i remember sitting watching it i stayed up to watch mania as i always do and i was thinking this is either going to be the absolute drizzling shit so it'll be the greatest thing that you ever did see and it was it was great i just sat there on the edge of my seat popping left right and center for all the stuff and it was just the way it was filmed like a movie you know and it was the, the music and everything and telling the tale of the old yeah, like the old gunslinger back for one last fight against the young pup. Although, you know, AJ's not really a young pup, but he, you know, he was like the, the younger one to the Undertaker. And I just sat there with the biggest grin on my face thinking, well, this is just the most tremendous thing that I've ever seen. It was just, it blew my mind. I thought it was great. I really, really thought it was one of the, the best things that, that I said that happened during the whole sort of no crowd section of, of wrestling like they they said they embraced and tried something new it forced them to think out of the box um it didn't always work what they did but you, you know you've got to hold your hands up and say you tried you did something different um but certainly that boneyard match that that taker and aj had i thought was was brilliant it was probably one of my favorite things i would <laughs> agree with that but you see you get that and then you come back to the ring and there's a wrestler coming out and he's posing on the top rope to the fans who aren't even there. They sort of went from one extreme to the other where we'll just basically erase the crowd and act as, you know, carry on as normal. But then they were, you know what I mean? Yeah. I found it odd yeah. that people like gesturing towards a crowd that isn't there. I guess it must have been incredibly hard for the wrestlers, you know, having played in front of a crowd for the, literally all of their career, whether... You know, they started out in their local indie with three people or in front of, you know, 93,000 people. To suddenly be nobody there, trying to not do the things that you would do to interact with the crowd or, you know, make make the gestures towards them and pulling the facials and looking at the crowd and trying to get a reaction. For all that to have just completely vanished, it must have been really, really surreal for them to try and get their head round. Yeah, that's a fair point. 
You mentioned AEW because they're now the sort of second horse in the two horse race, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, WWE yeah. obviously miles ahead. Yeah, I mean, they've done some, again, during the, the pandemic times, they did some good stuff. Um, and they did that stadium uh, match where literally loads of crazy stuff happened. And again, a lot of that was sort of played for laughs and a bit tongue in cheek. But again, I thought that was fantastic. So sort of Adam Page riding in on his horse, having a bar fight in the middle of like the rest of the fighting, you know, like Matt Hardy going in and out of the water and coming out as different gimmicks and stuff. I, I thought that was fantastic as well. That was probably my second favourite thing that came out of the the pandemic era of, of wrestling. I thought they did really well with that. And again, like they tried some stuff and it didn't work and they tried other bits and it, and it did. And I think with both companies were just just trying different things just to you know see what stuck and see what worked and see what didn't. And I know, my hat's off to both of them for trying something that was completely out of everybody's comfort zone, lots of new things to try. You know, it's, it can't have been easy for, for anybody to... You know, like sat around thinking, what can we do? We can't just go out and wrestle because there's nobody to wrestle to. The cameras are there, and but there's no crowd. So, yeah, they did some good stuff. Um, I, I haven't watched AEW for a little while now. I'm struggling to to get on board with it. It's just I think sometimes what they do, their style of wrestling, their matches is just I don't know. It's not for me. I'm a little bit old school, I think. I quite like a story. And sometimes, I mean, they do tell some good stories. The whole Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega storyline that they had, like, before the pandemic hit, it was fantastic. And it was, you know, had me glued to AEW. But I think when the bell rings, a lot of the matches are just, there's so much happening, so much going on. And I'm just like, you know, I appreciate that people do enjoy that. But, you know, it, I, I don't <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I've kind of I've not really I keep up with what's going on but I've not really watched any AEW for a little while and, it, and, and to be honest it was a there was a portion where I wasn't watching any WWE there just like real world got in the way and family life and such like but I, I kind of kept up with with both promotions to, to the point of I knew what was happening and uh, and then this Thursday just gone I actually watched a pay-per-view live for the first time probably since Wrestlemania when I watched the uh, the Crown Jewel pay-per-view which I really enjoyed yeah yeah I thought you know, the last few that they've done there have, always, have been a bit like luster and have not been great but you know there was a couple of whiffy matches in there but for for the most part I, I, I sat there I, I'm kind of at the age now where not just wrestling, but with movies and music and TV shows. And I think to myself, is this is this putting a smile on my face? Am I sat here with a grin? Am I enjoying this? And if I am, that's cool. I don't try and delve too much into, you know, the whys and ifs and buts and such like. Obviously, with wrestling, I do still to a certain extent because I think that's just inbuilt in me. But, um, you know, like I'll sit and I'll um, I watch Crown Jewel and, you know, I was obviously picking bits apart and, and enjoying bits more than others. But for, for the majority of it, I just sat there watching, smile on my face, thinking, yeah, I'm really enjoying this. Like the matches were good. There were some nice stories being told within the matches and the angles being told within the grand scheme of things. And, you know, I just thought, 
you know, for for something that could in the past has been such a throwaway event. And then obviously nothing too major happened in it because they never tend to do anything too major when they're not on American soil, not very often. But again, bell to bell, everything was reasonably enjoyable. You know, the, I thought the the uh, cell match between Seth Rollins and, and Edge was fantastic. Um, the main event was was brilliant. You know, I was, despite the fact that I've not really been religiously tuning into every show, and I've been keeping up with bits on YouTube and social media, etc. And obviously, I know the the love triangle angle between Heyman, Reigns, and and Lesnar. Uh, but when the match started, I was that was hooked already. I was like, I was I was ready for it. I was sat on the edge of my seat thinking. You know, which one of these two big boys is going to come out with a belt? How's this story going to play out? And I think, but it's, it's basics. That's you know, that's how wrestling should be. You should, you know, one guy that you want to win, one guy that you want to lose, and a reason for why you're wanting that to happen. And I thought, for the most part, that Crown Jewel did that really. I thought it was really enjoyable. Did you see the part where they announced the main event as a non-DQ match? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then they had to go a few seconds later. They were like, "Well, actually, Reigns and Lesnar said they want no part of that, so we're scrapping that." Yeah, well, basically, they probably announced that and then worked out how we're going to do the finish of the match and thought, you know yeah. what, that might not work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little bit of on the fly booking by the looks of it. Well, I don't know. I guess it could have still worked. I mean, the only thing about the main event was the ref bump was a little ridiculous because obviously, like. Lesnar's six foot tall or six foot or tall and he was swinging Roman on his shoulder and the referee had to jump up a little to, to take the bump but yeah uh, you know it, it is what it is he took the you know he took the bump well and and it served its purpose because then when Heyman slid the belt in and it was and that was a great he slid it right in the middle I mean that could have gone horribly wrong <laughs> yeah. he could have thrown that belt and it could have landed right in front of one of them but he slid it in between the two and they had the moment. And, but that, yeah, it was it, it was funny because obviously they thought, yeah, let's do no DQ. And then somebody at the back was like, hang on a minute, lads, if we do that, this finish that we've got planned, it's, you know, I think they could have worked around it. I mean, obviously, you get the, if it's no DQ, why wouldn't the Usos just run out straight away because there's no disqualification? Yeah. So, but yeah, I think they, they tacked that on and then thought, Oh, hang on a minute, we, we can't do that, so let's just take it off. But yeah, it didn't obviously it didn't really distract from anything, but it was quite funny that uh, that someone somewhere was like, We can't do that, let's just quickly scrap it. <laughs> yeah. And how good does Brock Lesnar look at the moment? Oh man, he looks he look I mean he's always looked like a superstar, but yes. oh my goodness, when he came back and, <laughs> and he just come through in them jeans, boots, and his flannel shirt with the cut-off sleeves. I was like, oh man, this is this dude's a super duper star now. Look at him. He's got a beard, yeah. he's got a Viking farmer look going on. And the only little disappointing thing about it was when he wrestled at Crown Jewel, he still wrestled in his MMA style shorts. I wanted him yeah. to be I wanted him to look different. I wanted to like wrestling, I don't know, his jeans and boots or something. Yeah. Or, or a flannel shirt or but yeah, I mean he looks completely badass. He just looked like he looked like um, Goro from Mortal Kombat, but with only two arms. Yeah. <laughs> he just looked. He looked a beast, and he looked. Uh, and again, he's 
it's a strange thing you think Lesnar being like the face in this situation, but he he's just been Brock Lesnar. He's exactly how he was when he was a heel, but he's just directing his venom towards Roman Reigns, who is who is the bad guy, and it's and it's worked brilliantly. And I think you know people moan about Lesnar being a part timer and taking spots and this that and the other, but when when he wrestles, when he comes back, he adds that air of of superstardom that not many other guys have it. There's plenty of guys that are that are superstars, but there's very few that are like super superstars. And I think you get that aura from Lesnar still. And that might be because he's only here now and again and he is seen as a bit of a special attraction. But he for me he manages to maintain that that aura of being Brock Lesnar. You know, even though he like comes for a bit, disappears, comes for a bit. And I know some people might be, oh, you know, he's a part-time champion, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, he is. But I think if he didn't have that star power and that look, then, you know, he probably wouldn't get away with it. But for me, because he is who he is and the way he he wrestles and the way he, you know, he still puts people over and he, he doesn't lose any of his star shine from doing it. He makes people look good. And he looks fantastic himself. I think, you know, I, I love a bit of Brock Lesnar now. He's great. I would agree with that, 100%. I mean, the same goes for, for Roman Reigns. He just, since he, he, he's turned to the dark side, he has been an absolute revelation. You know, everything that he did with the Usos, you know, everything that he's been doing with Lesnar and Heyman, it's just he, he has become everything that everybody thought he could be but obviously it's just taken a bit longer to get there you know they've they've pushed and pushed and pushed with the baby face thing and obviously they were giving him things to say and it just didn't sound right and it just wasn't natural and then he comes back and he does this badass straight talking no nonsense like head of the table the tribal chief it's just been it's been absolutely fantastic, and he is every inch the superstar that that everybody thought he could be. And I hope you know, obviously, like when the eventual turn as a babyface comes, I hope they just keep him as he is, but just have him doing his things against bad guys, like they've done with Brock Lesnar. He's literally the same character. He's just like he's just saying all these things that he would say to bad guys. He's just saying them to to good you know good guys and bad guys. He just whatever it needs to be. He hasn't changed any of his character. Obviously, he looks a little different, you know, with his flannel shirt and everything. But the way he is, he's just basically Brock Lesnar. And I think the same thing could be said for Roman if they want to turn him down the line. If they just keep him as he is and just turn him against a, another bad guy or whatever, I think he could be a colossal babyface for them as well. It's just if they just go down the route of like, oh yeah, now you're a babyface, you must smile and high-five everybody and Say he's sucker in sucker tash again, and then it's just going to go again because people don't want that. They've obviously like spent ten years trying to get fans to cheer for that, and they were like, mm, "This is not happening." And then they turned him heel, and he was all cool and badass, and everybody's booing him. So, I mean, I hope they don't turn him anytime soon because I think he's doing wonderful things, and he's got plenty more guys that he could go against, and plenty more guys that you know will look good against him. Because again, he's, he's in the ring, bell to bell, he's fantastic. You know, I don't think he gets enough credit for being as good as he is. You know, he, he looks the part, he looks like a wrestler, he acts like a wrestler. 
You know, his matches are great. You know, he's, he's pretty much becoming the, the total package that you need to be at the top of the table or head of the table. <laughs> head of the table. Yeah. For all the hate he's got over the years, you can't, I can't really fault him. No, no. I mean, other than the writers giving him absolute terrible lines to, to say live on the mic, he's always been, you know, he's always been good. You know, he came out, he obviously it was the Shield and he was kind of like the big lad of the Shield and then they all went the separate ways and they did the tags and then the Shield again, etc. And I just think, for me, for the longest time, he was just, he was still the Shield, even when the Shield was no more. He still, he looked the same, he had the same music, you know, he did, he had the, the um, body armour thing on with his, with his logo on instead of the Shield. And I just, I just kept thinking you need to like someone needs to tell him he needs to mix it up a bit and you know or maybe Vince didn't want him to mix it up I don't know but as soon as he did mix it up and he lost the top comes out bare chested and all like massive like he is grew a beard and you're like oh yeah look it's completely different this guy's a badass everybody's booing him and we're, we're listening to him and we're engaged by him and like two months before, when he was doing the same old Shield stuff, people were bored of it. But, you know, you've got to, I think you've got to reinvent yourself every so often anyway to keep things fresh so people don't get bored of you. You know, you just, you look at someone who has had longevity like The Undertaker. He's always been The Undertaker. But if, you know, he's been off for a period in absence, he comes back, he looks a little different. He's got a little bit different gear. I mean, obviously, he did a complete 180 and was the American badass for, yep. for many years, which, again, was a savvy piece of business because at that time when everything kind of went sort of super sort of realistic-y, in, you know, like it was a bit more like edgy and, you know, I don't think sort of a zombie mortician would have probably not cut it but obviously he thought well i'll still be the undertaker but i'll be like what i do at home on my bike with my bandana and my sleeveless denim shirt and obviously he came back at uh it was judgment day uh and when he came when that in his music hit that ring a ring a rosy bit and he comes steaming down on his harley on, on down that ramp I remember watching that live and I was like, well, holy shit, look at The Undertaker. And he's like, comes down on his back. And I still, I would, I could watch that now. I could put the network on and watch that now. And it would still give me goosebumps watching Taker come out and, and kick ass, kick all them at man's asses, come down on his bike to American Badass. And it was, it was a fantastic move for him because, you know, it reinvented him for a bit. And then over the course of the next couple of years, he kind of slowly sort of morphed into like uh, the Undertaker again, and then he went away for a bit and came back and he was like the full-on Undertaker. But by that point, I think people kind of like knew more about him and were prepared to think, oh yeah, he's the Undertaker. And he was less sort of zombie dead man, but more like like the American badass Undertaker, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. It was kind of more humanised, but still you know, a, a thoroughly kick-ass looking undertaker, but obviously black with a long black trench coat and the hats and stuff. Uh, but again, every time he came back, he reinvented himself a little, some little bits changed, hair, 
beard, you know, sometimes little cosmetic things like, you know, different pants, leathers, like a singlet, you know. So I think you have to, to have a good career and, and certainly one that spans as long as the Undertaker. Though. You've got to keep reinventing yourself a little bit just to, to stay fresh. And I think that's what Roman needed. And when he did, you know, he, he's, he's become like the biggest thing in, in WWE. I mean, you might correct me on this, but I seem to think when he went, when Taker went to being the American badass, that was when his WrestleMania matches sort of, that's when he started having the epic matches. Yeah. I could be wrong on that. Because, because he was like the big dead zombie guy, for some unknown reason, he used to be like shafted with all the like monsters. <laughs> yeah. So he, he would be wrestling like, you know, King Kong Bundys and Giant Gonzaleses and people like that that really didn't. I mean, it was it was fine for the time. Obviously, it was you know it was like the it was just like monsters fighting each other. It was like Godzilla and Kong. It was like the Undertaker yeah. and Giant Gonzales. It was just a spectacle thing, and he didn't really have to to do too much. It was still his very sort of slow and like deliberate pace that he was wrestling at. And I think again it was probably a conscious decision that when he came back and like them sorts of guys and them, them gimmicks were no longer viable because people would, didn't want that anymore. They wanted sort of the most sort of outrageous, but kind of more realistic. If you like gone with the days of the cartoon sort of gimmicks of the bin men and the plumbers. Now we had guys, yeah. you know, asking women in the crowd to flash their breasts and guys chanting suck it and some dude with a bald head like wanting to beat his boss up and it all got a little bit like racy and and a little bit more adult so I think like from the Undertaker's point of view he couldn't really be fighting these cartoon characters anymore because I think he would have just been cracked upon so I think it was all like a probably a happy coincidence that then all these guys that were having good matches you know suddenly the Undertaker was like thrust in there with them guys because obviously he's been a He's always been a main event guy, but the other main event guys were guys that could wrestle matches and you know have good matches. You know, guys like The Rock, Austin, Foley. You know, the, the list of, during that time of guys that were that were main eventers was ridiculous. You know, I don't think it will ever happen like that again. And I don't know if it, if it, again it's something that they don't want to happen again. I don't know, but there was a period of time where there were so many guys that were like easily like your triple A star guys where normally maybe have one or two, but WWE was like full of them. And it was just when Undertaker was out in there with all these other guys, I think it swung his style to be a bit more with them rather than the slow stalking, yeah, giving the jab uppercuts and doing this that kind of thing to the, where he's like, well, I'm going to have to, I can wrestle, so I'm going to, I will wrestle, still be the big man, but you know, I'll still, and I'll, I'll still keep my jumping, flying clothesline and such like and old school, but I'll mix that in with a bit of MMA, you know, a bit of, you know, a few submissions and such like. So I think it was good for him as well because it got, he got to showcase what he could do. And then obviously the quality of his matches went up. I think it was something he could always do, but I think the guys that he was put in with during that time of like the cartoony sort of era, you know, Dory yeah. and T.L. Hopper, the goon, all them ones, 
that had gone and it was not acceptable to have that anymore. And people wanted the racy, you know, attitude era. And I, and I think it was, it was just like, it, I think it all just came together at the same time and it was beneficial for everybody, including the Undertaker. And then obviously his WrestleMania streak, his quality of matches went up, the guys he was he's facing, you know, so like, like I said, there was well, any one time, there'd be like Shawn Michaels, Triple H, The Rock, Stone Cold. I mean, even Hogan came back for a bit, you know, Although his his matches have never been like five star classics from a wrestling standpoint, but they've always been five star classics from an entertaining standpoint. And for a, a I, would, game. I would say so, his match with the Undertaker was not a five star classic. No, no, it wasn't. There was not a, his return match. Yeah, there was quite a nice couple of nice chokes that where he placed Hogan down. Yeah, back, I think yeah, that's gone down as one of the worst matches in history, hasn't it? Yeah, it was. It wasn't great, but. But the entertainment value, you know, I think sometimes, obviously, then things are going to happen. But, you know, that, at that one time, there's all those guys. And when Taker was mixing it up with them, and it just so happened to coincide with him being, like, sort of going from Dead Man Undertaker to sort of American Badass into sort of Pain Inc. or whatever it was. It was Pain Inc.? Yeah, with, and then he's like, brothers of Dead Man Inc. Dead Man Inc. Pain Inc. Pain Inc.'s Roughneck, isn't it? Roughneck and Jerry yeah. Ace. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dead Man Inc. And then obviously like, the Brothers of Destruction stuff and that. So I think it was all kind of like, because it all just kind of happened at the same time. And it was, and obviously then he went on to have classic matches with the, the two matches he had with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania were just, you know, they were some of the best matches that you'd ever seen. They were just unbelievable. Yeah, great matches against Triple H, you know, The Rock, Austin, even like, at that time when they were putting on pay-per-view quality matches on on TV, you know, people were having fantastic matches every week. It was ridiculous. So I think, yeah, I think it just kind of did all come together at the same time. That's something I was I was going to ask you about, is WWE just like in general? Because obviously it's coming under a lot of criticism at the moment because many fans think the product isn't what it could be. If you get what I mean, they think it's well. Basically, they think it's crap. A lot of people. I mean, there's good stuff, obviously, like you said, with Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns. Yeah, it, I know. I know what they're saying, and, and to a certain extent, I agree. It could be better than it is, and I think sometimes I don't. I don't know whether they just they don't really mind too much that it's not great because they're just making money hand over fist everywhere else you know i just don't know whether vince is is you know happy with getting money from the sponsors and money from advertising and money from this place and that place and all of a sudden like the in-ring product has, has become like a it's just like a second fiddle to everything else which I, I I do like I get the feeling that if they wanted to do to be better in ring and do better stuff, they they could. It would be easy for them to do because they've done it in the past. But I just don't know if they want to at the moment. As weird as that is, I just think they're quite happy, you know, getting doing what they do. You know, certainly like and now they'll be going back out on the road again. I, I'd imagine that you know the the live crowds are going to be pretty big because obviously we've not seen any wrestling for a long time. So people will be climbing for tickets, you know, but same with AEW that, you know, their shows are going to, you know, the tickets are going to be on 
not on sale for very long for, for the shows, it's going to sell out and such like. But I just, I, yeah, it's not, it's weird, isn't it? Because I think we was, you know, we've been spoiled with so much, like there was such a long period of time where there was a lot of really, really good stuff. And now we're just seeing all right stuff to good stuff. And we're getting really good stuff occasionally. I think we've been a bit spoiled by having that sort of pay-per-view quality matches every show, every match. And now we're just we're getting TV matches and you know they're not pay-per-view quality. I'm not saying they're not good, but they're not obviously what you would call a pay-per-view quality match. And obviously there is some stinkers out there still, and, and for whatever reason, two people, three two teams or whatever just don't click um, but I do think sometimes it's a little bit of like it's almost like I, I I want this I want this I want this because I've had it before and I remember watching yeah. when I first got into to watching wrestling way back when and you know I watch superstars or you know main events or whatever and the hour of superstars would be you'd get a couple of matches and it'd be like the warlord putting some jobber in a full Nelson for three minutes. And that's all you'd get. And you loved yeah. it. And you loved it. You were like, this is amazing. This that that poor dude's been creamed. You know, and then you'd get yeah. a, a little box out in the corner and there'd be Hacksaw Jim Duggan saying, Warlord, next week, you versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, it's gonna be throwing it down at the Nassau Coliseum. Tuesday 20th, just doing a little standard promo in the corner, and that's all you'd see of Hacksaw, and he was going to be facing Warlord like next next week on Superstars or, or on main event or whatever. And then you'd have another couple of matches, and you might, if you were lucky, like in the in the main event, you'd have Coco Beware versus Monty Gennetti or something. <laughs> and you'd be you'd be like, This is the best thing I've ever seen. Oh my god, look at this Monty Gennetti's facing Coco Beware. Who would have thought? And then obviously times changed, things changed, and you know, you raw happened and SmackDown. And for the longest time you were getting all these guys that were superstars wrestling each other each week. The stories were amazing, everything was just mind-blowing. You know, and even even during the like the attitude area, if you go back and watch some of the stuff now, it, it wasn't as great as you thought it was. But because it was so in your face and 100 miles an hour, there was barely any time to like register like what you'd just seen because something else crazy was happening. You know, and it's, it was just like bang, 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 bang. And it was an assault on the senses. And I think because we were spoiled by that, we were so massively entertained by that for such a long time that now things are just not like they were. You're still getting decent matches, but because it's not as good as it was, I think people feel like they're entitled to have pay-per-view caliber stuff all the time. I mean, there is some shit on it. Obviously, I, you know, yeah. you watch you watch Raw and you think that's fucking awful. That whatever that segment was was whoever came up with that idea. That is fucking rotten. But again, if if you go back and look at some of the Attitude Era stuff now and you watch it, you and if those segments were done then in the style of show now, you would, uh, as the shows are now, you'd be watching them back then and going, that's that's rotten. Oh my goodness, that is absolutely ridiculous. Why is that woman giving birth to a plastic hand? <laughs> you know, 
because of the time that it was when everything was just so crazy, you know, 100 mile an hour and like car crash TV and it was just a product of its time and it was just, it, and it was great, you loved it, you know, you talk about May Young giving birth to a hand or Mark Henry being sexual chocolate and, you know, you just, it was just so entertaining because it was just full on all the time. But because it's a little bit of a different product now and a different pace, and it's a, you know, it's like a family friendly thing now. You know, you, you know as well as I do. You, certainly, when John Cena was like at the top of his game, you'd go to a house show or a Raw or a SmackDown taping, obviously in the UK, and there would, there would be kids everywhere dressed as John Cena. You know, and it was like yeah. and you look around and you think this product isn't for me anymore. You know, I I, I enjoy it. And I watch it, but I'm, and I'm like looking around and I'm just surrounded by 50 million little John Cena's saying, you can't see me. And John Cena having his own separate merchandise table. Because <laughs> like literally, you know, you couldn't put just two of his T-shirts on the standard merchandise tables. He just had his own full of everything you could imagine with John Cena all over yeah. it. So again, I think sometimes people forget that, you know, it might not be for them as well and I think they get you know they think oh why, why why is that person doing this why is that person that because the little kid who's you know pestering his mum to go buy tickets and buy merchandise he loves it you know it's just that's and then that's why they've gotten into this whole argument with AEW about who wins what in the demos and this that and the other which is all completely ridiculous but yeah. you know and then like I remember going to a house show a few years ago and uh, I was I was just sat in the cheap seats and there's a couple of kids sat next to me who were absolutely loving everything that happened you know and I'm sat there critiquing it going oh my god that was rubbish and they're like oh my dude that we miss it. he boxed that move this that and the other and these kids are just literally losing their minds over every little thing and then um, great Carly comes out for his match and this little kid next to me he just his jaw at the floor. I mean, it's great Carly's rubbish. You know, <laughs> he's not yeah. the greatest wrestler in the world. But this little kid, his jaw at the floor, and he looked at his, his mum, who was sat there, who clearly was just there to take a kid. She had no interest in it whatsoever. But the, the look on his face, he was just like, he'd, he'd seen it like a monster, like a, like a giant. Like, a, you know, he yeah. just looked in awe at this behemoth of a man. Now, I can't remember who he was facing, and I, and I think obviously Carly lost. And the kid was like this this what superstar slayed this dragon, and like, and he'd seen it with his own eyes, and he was just losing his mind. He was jumping and screaming and cheering, and then you just think that you know that this this is for him. You know, he's he's loving this. You know, yeah. so I think it's hard to get like a good selection of something for everyone you know it's it's, it's easier at a, like a an independent wrestling show because they cater for like a different audience and they will kind of do something for everyone but something like wwe you know they they're just going to cater it to at the moment they did it they catered it to the adult the adults during the attitude era you know because they figured that all of the kids who watched hogan and Doink and Hacksaw and etc. Then have all grown up, so now they're 
they scented the product for many years, the Attitude Era, towards adults, like I say, with women flashing and like lots of racy language and racy angles and, and all sorts. And then they've just like gone back round again to the times of when it was, you know, it was real American Hogan and and earthquake and tugboat and you know it's just gone around in a big circle and maybe in another few years it will go back to being you know like a version of the of the attitude era again where everything goes racy and you know we go back to you know how it was then you know no no one knows but I just think at the moment people just they get a little bit like self-entitled to what they want that makes sense. And I'm yeah. the same. I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. I'm guilty of it. I'll sit there and watch something and I'll be like, wow, why have they done that? Oh, that just does not make any sense whatsoever. And then I think, well, maybe that, you know, maybe some kids somewhere is like, I'm, I'm so glad that happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's horses for courses, isn't it? Sometimes you think, you know, you might not like that, but somebody else might like it. And then the next segment where they do something and I'm like, <laughs> that was brilliant. That kid who liked the segment before might be like, well, I don't get that. that I, just, I don't understand that. Why has that person done that? That's completely out of character or whatever. And I'm like, and I'm loving it. And I'm thinking that's great. So, you know, I think it's it's not the best it's ever been. You know, let's be honest. It, it Sometimes you sit there and it's, especially like Raw, it's three hours. And it's a lot of TV time. And some of it is a hard slog. And I don't know if they're struggling to fill it or they just can't be bothered to try and fill it properly. But there is some stuff on there. And I sit there and I'm just like, oh, Jesus, this is painful. And I can't imagine anybody on the planet watching it and enjoying it of any age. And you just think, God, oh, this is, it's, you know, it's either cringeworthy or it's just really hard to watch. Um, I think it would be so much better if it went back down to two hours. But obviously, like, I don't think they'll do that because of the money it makes. Um, it's just, I mean, SmackDown's two hours. It's a much better show for it. When NXT was an hour, that was the best show on that they were producing. Yeah. You know, and again, it was a different beast. It was kind of like the closest thing to a sort of an independent, like wrestling show with all that sort of the indie darlings on there. But again, it was very character driven, very story driven. It was like WWE's take on what an independent wrestling show would be. Which I, I, I really enjoyed. There was some great stuff on there, and I went to watch it with NXT when it came to the UK, and it was one of the best shows I'd seen in a, in a very, very long time from WWE. I'd agree um, with that. But uh, I, like, yeah, it's there's stuff to enjoy, and I think you, sometimes you need to just focus on the bits that you do enjoy rather than slating the bits that you don't. What people tend to forget as well is the Attitude Era. I mean, I know it's not. We all look at it with rose-tinted lenses. We do. It's not, it wasn't as great as it was, but it was great. But that came after 83 weeks of having their asses kicked by WCW. Yeah. You know, their backs were to the wall. They had to do something or else they were going to go out of business. The way they are at the moment, I don't think there's much they could do to stop making money at the moment. Exactly. That's like I said, I think they're getting so much money yeah. from all other avenues that the, the wrestling has just become like just a, a cog rather yeah. than rather than the main wheel. I think it's just a cog in a massive machine. And 
I don't think that will ever change for the foreseeable unless something drastic happens, you know, like AEW do run head to head on the same night as Raw or SmackDown or both or whatever. And they actually do start to do what WCW did and literally start taking viewers, fans, money away from them. And then they might have to do something. But as you say, at the moment, because they're just making money hand over fist everywhere else, you know, they're yeah. turning profit every year. And I just don't think that they're too concerned about anything that happens when the shows go on, really. I mean, obviously, they've got pride in their products and they want to put the shows on. But I don't think they need to do anything above and beyond what they're doing because they've got no reason to. I'd agree with that. There is something, it's on a related note, actually, now we've mentioned WCW. I wanted to get your opinion on this because you've long been the king of the shell. <laughs> um, well, you were back in the day, weren't you? Yes, oh, yes. Um, this was something Eric Bischoff mentioned on his podcast. I don't, don't know if you ever listened to Eric Bischoff's podcast. Yeah, I've listened to a few of them. Yeah, it's not bad. Not as good as this one, but it's all right. Yeah, I quite like I quite like him. I quite like him as a... He talks a lot of sense. Some of he talks a lot of nonsense, but it just yeah. some of the stuff he says is uh, is very good. One of his listeners asked him about why, when Hulk Hogan came over to WCW, why did he have the Hulkster T-shirt? You know, could they not use Hulkamania or whatever? Because he just had a he had just it was a yellow shirt which said Hulkster on it. Yeah, it did yeah. Yeah, Eric Bischoff. Basically, his response to that was like, well, we thought we could have released three T-shirts. But then we risk, we only had a small merch department. We risked the problem of, you know, one being really popular, the other two not selling. So we just thought we'll give the fans one shirt and anyone who wants a Hulk Hogan t-shirt can buy that shirt, which I think is fair enough. You don't want to saturate the market. But then when you look at WWE today, we got four t-shirts, four different t-shirts to celebrate the fact Becky Lynch was pregnant. <laughs> which I think, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't need one Becky Lynch T-shirt celebrating the fact she's pregnant. No. But no. I didn't need a selection of which which pregnant Becky Lynch T-shirt should I get. Should I get the mom? Should I get the man? Should I get the Christmas man? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. But it's all about making money, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, like when we was watching Crown Jewel, um, and. I was I was watching it on my own, but I was in a, a group chat with some of my mates. Um, uh, Brett Myers, um, he was in there, and he was like, he was talking. It was the Drew McIntyre Bobby Lashley match, and he said, he said, I think Drew should lose the sword. It looks ridiculous. And I said to him, I said, Can you buy one on Shop Zone? And he went and obviously had a look, and he came back and he posted a picture of an inflatable sword, and yeah. I said. That's why he comes out with it. Exactly. <laughs> and, he was, and he was like, I can't believe it's on there for sale. And I'm like, yep. And it's just, that is it. That everything is geared towards making that dollar. You know, and it's as it, it, ridiculous as it is. I bet they still sold some of those Becky Lynch t shirts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's like, you know, they're just because they've got, you know, the money to do it and the, the resources to just pump them t shirts out. You know, it's just. Why not? You know, it's just a case of, well, we can do it, so let's just have a thousand different T-shirts for for this one particular person. And, you know, they probably 
only print a handful of them anyway. It probably doesn't really cost them that much to to do, I don't know, 10 T-shirts of each T-shirt. And then if they sell out, they'll just print another 10. I bet it doesn't really cost them all that much. So, you know, why not advertise a thousand T-shirts for, you know, for everything? And certainly with somebody like Becky Lynch, who at that time and still is like colossally over, you know, so chances are that somebody is going to be a Becky Lynch fan who is probably going to be pregnant and is probably going to buy that shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just about making that cash. You know, never, every decision that, like, like the Drew McIntyre one, I mean, it fits his gimmick. He comes out in the kilts, he's got the swords, you know, and it does look a bit silly with him, like, swinging his broadsword around. But again, when you go on Shop Zone, there's an inflatable one to buy. So, this is it. so why not? <laughs> yeah. I've just thought of this actually. They had on the, when they, the first WWF DVD they did which was WrestleMania XV. I don't know what number that is. Was it XV or VX? I'm not sure. But it was the one, Austin versus Rock, in the main event. Yeah. For the first time. And they had a commentary track from Austin in there. And Austin, he was talking about the match, and he said, I, he forgot to bring his vest with him. So he said, like, he, I, I, I apologise in advance for this impression, because I can't do an impression of Austin. But he said, goddamn biggest match of my career. And I come out wearing a goddamn T-shirt. And then I was thinking about that. And there was a, I mean, it's, it seems to be getting less now, but there was a period where they only came out in T-shirts, where the wrestler would come out wearing his latest T-shirt yeah, to yeah. sell it. And I thought back in the Attitude Era, you wouldn't get that. The Rock wouldn't have come out in a T-shirt. Maybe like on Raw for an angle or something. Yeah. But not in a main event. In a main event, you know, Austin would be in his leather vest or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it got but, to the point where they were just walking adverts for the new T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, certainly on on Raw and, and SmackDown. I mean, every you know there was everyone had a new T-shirt every week, but the product was so hot there was just obviously like <coughs> they were selling them hand over fist. So the wrestlers probably doubled their wage with merchandise sales at that particular point. I certainly someone like Austin and The Rock. DX, I bet their merch sales were, were tremendous. So, you know, if it, it, I'd be the same. I'd be like, I want a new T-shirt next week. And I'm going to cut the sleeves out and I'm going to come out to it to cut my promo. <laughs> or to have my match, I'm going to come out and take my shirt off. You know, it's just, yeah, it's just about making that money, isn't it? Making that dollar. That's true. Did you ever have a T-shirt? No. Well, huh? we, had, we had Brotherhood ones. I did some homemade. Oh yes. yeah, yeah. You never I, had a Diamond Dale Mills T-shirt. No, no, no. I never had any merch. Um, and we, uh, the only reason we did the Brotherhood ones was when we did uh, we did a Mickey take of DX at one of the shows. Um, it was an over eighteen show, and uh, Brett Myers, he was uh, Shawn Michaels, so he came out in a really tight pair of, of shorts and the Brotherhood T-shirt and a cowboy hat. And then me and Will Cruz were, I was Road Dog and, and uh, Will was Billy Gum. And Will actually went out and bought some legit Billy Gum biker shorts with white ones with the kisses on and everything. Yeah? Yeah. And he looked tremendous. And we had our brother t shirts on, which were just three plain black t shirts that I bought from Primark 
and I bought some um, fabric paint and, and got the neon green and just put a BH on the front of them and let them dry overnight. <laughs> I made it, I made my own merch. <laughs> but they served their purpose. You know, they, it, yeah. was, it was great. We just did a bit, had a bit of fun just doing a Mickey Taker DX. It was funny to think that that was the crowd when the music started playing. You're thinking that <laughs> Fight Factory and Bust the Bank accounts and got DX. Yeah. <laughs> but it was all designed to rile the crowd, which is what it did. They thought they were getting something and they, they got Poundland DX, got BH instead. Yeah. But I never had any like legit merchandise. You know, I wish we'd we'd done proper Brotherhood ones, just for just a small run, just to to sell at the shows and stuff. Because I think we would have probably flogged a few, made a few quid, but it was just one of them things. That, you know, we couldn't. It was just like you know, you got to hope that you sell them. You got to put the money in first, and you know, we were all at different stages in do if our like you know money tree could be afford to like waste money yeah. are there enough from wrestling to warrant t-shirts you know and also now like you know, Will's had two or three t-shirts because um, he's out and about everywhere so we can afford to to take that chance and have merchandise and sell it at the shows and stuff and he's you know and he does he does sell some t-shirts which is good on him you know he's making a bit of, bit of coin on the side from his merchandise and to be fair, his T-shirts have been pretty good, good quality. Oh, yeah. I'd agree with that. The designs on them have been really good. I'm always a big fan of, of T-shirts that don't look like wrestling T-shirts. Yeah. Like, like, like band shirts, like a rock band shirt or something like that. Um, so all of his have been very much sort of in that style, um, like logos and such like. So they've, always, they've been really good. I think they've been pretty popular. So it's about time I had another one, really, so I could get that one. I would like to say, Brett Flash podcast T-shirts are available. Oh, there we go. Cheap Anyone plug. wants to buy one? Cheap plug. I do have them. How much? That's a good question. Yeah, uh, if you're listening and you want one, hit me up and I'll figure out a price. Oh, that is the worst shill ever. You're an amateur. I know, <laughs> I know. I'm not paying the shill like you. <laughs> Yes, that's the thing. You should have had you should have had your link address for it. How much they are, the sizes you do, what it's. Uh, I know, I know. Well, you can, yeah, any size you want, as long as it's small, medium, large, extra large. <laughs> well, I'll take a medium, my good man. I saw you have medium on the house for your third appearance. Oh, that's well. This is the this is part three of two, isn't it? <laughs> it is part three of two. Yeah, there's only going to be one originally, and now we're on to part three of two. Well, there you go. Then. So I've done three appearances. You have, so yeah, so you have one. <laughs> I'll be in touch with my people in Italy who make the T-shirts. <laughs> I don't ask me why it's in Italy. I didn't know it was. I got an email today saying your shirt's been shipped from Italy. Oh, all right, fair enough. Amazing. Are they uh, regular fit or are they slim fit or? Oh, regular fit. Yeah, regular. I don't do slim fit. Regular fit. I might have to have a small on a regular fit. I don't know. Oh, I'll, I'll, in. <laughs> I'll stick with the medium just in case. Yeah, I like... sat here in an extra large and you go, I might need a small. <laughs> no way you need a small. It depends on the cut. Depends on the size. I've got some small shirts. If they're a regular fit, I can get a regular fit small on. If it's a slim well, fit, I'll have a me I'll do medium slim fit. Well, there Talk you go. 
So it's 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 where you wear it. It's, you know, it's it's that it's the different cuts that that make the difference. And and also it depends where you buy it from because obviously some some shops like their mediums are large and the larges are extra large and supply. But yeah, buying but normally I'm a, I'm a medium. So yeah, stick me a medium to the to one side when they arrive. What do they say on the front? Does it just say Brett Flash podcast? Yeah, it's a yeah, it's an NWO ripoff because I'm very original. Amazing. Yeah, I love the NWO T-shirt though. I think it's the best wrestling T-shirt they made. Full stop. Ooh, controversial, controversial. The best no. T-shirt ever. That is, mm, that is a, that's a, that's a thinker. That one. It's a good T-shirt. It's a good T-shirt. I don't actually own an NWO t-shirt strangely enough yeah. I've got I've got ones that are in that same design by other companies and such like but I don't think I have a legit NWO one um but no it's the best t-shirt ever wow that is a bold claim now I would say it is and I have I've got two red and black hoodies two black and white long sleeves I've got the short sleeve red and black I've Shortly, well, I've got loads of them. Latino World Order. I just love the design. <laughs> well, I've got one that was uh, from Southside, and it was Robbie X and his his little group of of people. I think Adam Maxted was in there for a while, and a couple of others. Uh, and that was uh, GBH, and it's in the style of the NWO. Yeah. You know, their, their name was it was guilty by habit and it was in the end of the thing and it was a really it's a really cool t-shirt it's just, the t-shirt's red and the writing in the, the square thing's white um but it, yeah that's a cool t-shirt it's a good design it's been plagiarized a lot though and it? it's been used it has everyone's done it randy orton you know new day every everyone's done it but to say yeah. it's the best t-shirt ever wow no. wow well, best wrestling T-shirt. Best wrestling T-shirt. It is. I yeah. Wow. I, I'm gonna have to have a think about that. Um, I remember back in the day, I really wanted one, and in this country, you couldn't get wrestling merchandise unless you went to shows for a long time. They didn't sell it. Yeah. And but they were doing an offer. If you bought the WCW Nitro ring from Argos, you'd get a free NWO T-shirt. Really. And it, it was white with black writing on it. I was like, whatever, it's an NWO T-shirt. So I'm buying that ring. So I bought the ring, got the T-shirt, took the ring back to Argos. It's like, I don't want that anymore because I now have my T-shirt. But obviously, it's a toy. So the T-shirt was, it was like a medium child. No. Yeah, and didn't fit 18-year-old me. Oh, gutted. Yeah. So I eventually got one at a show. I went to, like, the first house show they did for... In the big period of WCW. Damn. Have you still got the white t-shirt though? No, I think I gave it away. Oh. It wouldn't have fit you. It was a medium kid. So it definitely wouldn't have fit you. Don't no, you say you gave the kids. You kept it yourself. <laughs> the collection. <laughs> oh man. Best t-shirt ever. That is I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was always a big fan of Billy Gunn's Mr. Ass one with the lips on. <laughs> I know you were, but I think you were the only one. <laughs> I, I, I love that too. I, I lost it for ages. I was devastated, but then I, I, I found it again. It was a good day. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, gosh. 
trying to think of, I mean, I've got bazillions of wrestling t-shirts and I'm just like, I don't know. I do like the DX one, the, the classic Suck It. That's pretty cool. It always annoyed me that they'd censored Suck It on the back. Yeah. Because I just read it as Suck It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that annoyed me. And obviously, like, the classic Austin 316. Yeah, that was, yeah. Oh. I would say it's a toss-up between Austin 316 and MWO for the best shirt ever. Shirt ever. I'm going to I'm gonna have to have a think about that. Come back to you on <coughs> episode four. Episode four of two. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Best T-shirt yeah. ever. Leave that one with me. <laughs> Right, one last thing we'll touch on on the wrestling before we move on to other areas. I was going to ask you if you've seen any of the CM Punk stuff since he's returned. Uh, I saw I saw his return promo um, and his return, but that's all I've seen. To be honest, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan <laughs> of Punk. I always thought he was all right. Like, yeah, yeah I, I did. Obviously, I saw bits of pictures of his match against Darby Allen. Not quite sure why he decided to wear what looked like unfinished long pants. I, I didn't think that did him any favours. No. It was like when HBK came back in them brown pants when he, when he fought trips in the cell and he, his pants weren't finished and they were brown. And he had that ridiculous yeah. bob, bob haircut because his hair hadn't grown out because he had it cut off. And, it, and Punk comes back and he's got like black pants with stars down the side. So, hmm. <laughs> just, it just didn't, don't know. If, if it was me and I'd been, you know, been away from wrestling for X amount of years and I was having a big comeback and, you know, wanted to move the needle as, as they like to say these days. Uh, and I would want, all the bells and whistles, <laughs> you know. I'd, yeah. want, I'd want a fantastic entrance, and you know, he just came out just as he did the last time he came out. It's like you know, it's clobbering time, and you know, which is great, and it's his thing, and and you know, it's, if he was happy with that's what he wanted, but it just it just didn't did scream big time to me. Maybe it did other people, I don't know, but when it, it just didn't look like you know the returning conquering hero, just looked like. Some guy that's come out in long pants. He did <laughs> actually, prior to the match happening, he did talk about the fact he'd done a bit of training because he was going to be on TV in his underwear again. So he was planning to do it properly. Oh, maybe he got cold feet then. Maybe he looked in the mirror and thought, hang on, no. Maybe he skipped leg day on his, on his training. Yeah. Maybe. It just didn't look, it just didn't look like... He didn't look like... I mean, obviously, he's a superstar. I mean, he's been there and he's done it. And, you know, he, he has, you know, headline shows around the world. But when he come out, he just didn't look like a superstar. He just looked like just another guy, which I thought was a bit yeah. disappointing. And then um, I wasn't quite sure why they went straight with, like, Darby Allen either. It was a bit of a strange choice, in my opinion. I just thought, you know, it's babyface versus babyface. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just didn't do it for me. Yeah, his promo was good when he came back. You know, I just, it always irks me when like these guys, they always seem to 
feel the need to like give abuse to their former employer. Yeah. And it's like it's cool the first time it happens, but like AEW have been going for like a couple of years, and everybody that's rocked up from WWE has had a promo and slagged them off. And it's just it just gets to the point where you think it's a little bit childish now. <laughs> you know, it's like why yeah. you make you're talking about your, your position more than you're talking about what you're doing, you know. And it was, I, I just think concentrate on your own back garden and let other people do what they want to do and, you know, you do what you do. But I just, I say the promo was good, you know, the, 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 obviously the fan response, it was all, I mean, everything was was set up perfectly for him, the venue, the, where they were, what he said and everything. And it was great. And it was like proper sort of, you know, like spine tingling stuff in the world of pro wrestling. Yeah, it was a moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I thought it was great for, for wrestling as a whole, for that kind of thing to happen, whether you're a fan of AW or you're a fan of WWE or you're a fan of Impact or New Japan or whatever. As a whole for wrestling, it was great because this guy had been away for a while and he'd come back, you know, and he was like, I'm back to make a difference, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, it was, it was a moment. It was like, here's on the back of your next stuff. But I, I don't, for me, that, that I don't think they followed it up well enough. And the match was, you know, the match was, what I'd seen in the match, the bits of it, it was good. It was a wrestling match. They did some decent stuff. But it just seemed like, you know, like on the flip side, even at Crown Jewel, you watch, let's say, like Lesnar versus Roman Reigns, and that was like, you know, my adrenaline was was buzzing for it, and I was, you know, I was there in the, I was, come on, my God, you know, the the near falls and stuff, and I wasn't captivated like that with, you know, with to the point where I didn't really bother that about watching it. But I mean, I'm glad no, he's back. My- I'm glad, glad he's, you know, doing stuff again because people. You know, people are fans of his. People do enjoy his work, um, and you know, if it's better for for the business, then it's it's better for everybody. My biggest issue is that he went away to UFC. He proved he can't fight in a legitimate contest, and now he wants to come back and excuse my friends. He wants to pretend to fight, but he's proven that he can't fight. Yeah, but. That's the beauty of pro wrestling, and it? it only takes a promo to forget about all that other yeah, stuff. Yeah, I don't know. You know. I think I just think if you go into a legitimate fighting competition and he doesn't succeed, I just think no, you, you can't come back into into this world and expect us to go. Yeah, you're the best in the world. Well, we know you're not. You're not the yeah, best in the world. I, I don't really have too much of an issue with that. Obviously, like Lesnar got got his ass handed to him. Yeah, he, he won a fair few, though. He was champion, he did, wasn't he? He did, yeah, he was. Yeah, he did win. He, he won some, he, he lost some. But that's the beauty of, that's the art of pro wrestling. He put the spin on it. Obviously, when he came back, and he had Heyman as, as his mouthpiece, Heyman never met, once mentioned that he lost. Obviously, he mentioned a lot of times that, you know, he was the king of the octagon and he won the yeah. ultimate championship. And then they called it the Broctagon and everything. But that's the art of the spin, isn't it? You know, you can... It's a bit tricky in Punk's case because obviously he didn't win anything, so you just don't mention it. You just move on. <laughs> it's like it's the same with like in wrestling terms when somebody faces somebody on the pay per view, like and that person, like say for example, like Seth Rollins, who's lost 
against Edge at Crown Jewel. Seth Rollins would come out on Raw or SmackDown the following week and just start talking about something else completely, not mentioning anything that's happened before. And then you just you just hit the reset button and you're off at the races again. He's off at a different angle with somebody else. And I think that's that's pro wrestling. That's the beauty of it. You can just you know you can manipulate and move things around to how you want it to be. And it, and it's the same with CM Punk. Obviously, he's like he can mention all of his accomplishments elsewhere and what he's done and this that and the other. But you know, you just it was a little side note, a little footnote in his life where he tried a bit of MMA. Just move on. I don't really have an issue with him. He's a braver man than I am for trying. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, I wouldn't give it a go. No, definitely not. Well, there you go. We've chatted about wrestling some. And now we're going to move on. Talk I'm about intrigued. some other things. Because as I said, you've got many strings on your bow. Oh, I'm intrigued to, to know what's coming next. Well, yeah, you, you should be with this. Well, you won't be surprised. We're going to... No, I was going to make a joke about your obsession with coffee, but I'm not going to... I was going to say, we're going to talk about coffee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's talk about coffee. Now, what you did when you departed wrestling... Well, there you go. That was episode three of the Breath Flash podcast. You see what I did there? I left you on a bit of a cliffhanger. See, now you've got to come back to find out what Dale did after he got out of wrestling. So, yeah, come back next time. And learn more about Diamond Dale Mills. Because if you didn't know, you should know. Now you do know. <laughs>